Reformed Church. You know, we have been, um, for the last couple services, talking about things having to do with uh, the priesthood and then how that correlates, right, the Jewish priesthood to uh, Christ's uh, priesthood. And, you know, it's an interesting thing that you know that as far as what um, a high priest is, that's not something that's widely understood by the church because if they would, right, if the church really understood what a high priest why we needed a high priest, right? That's a good way to say it. If the church really knew why it needed a high priest, it would take advantage of the fact and understand and live and walk like they have one, right? But the, the, the very thing that, you know, people think either that they owe something to God, right? They've lived a certain way and they're going to kind of repay God back by doing something for him. Uh, they're going, they, they live not understanding whether they've been forgiven or not, whether their righteousness stands or doesn't stand, whether they're good in God's eyes or not, whether they're perfect in his sight or not, whether we're blameless in the sight of God, whether we go from blamelessness to guilt, right? And it's just all of these different, these waverings within the church, right? You know that they really actually don't understand the point of a high priest, right? Um, even the fact that we even have men today that call themselves priests, right? That, that obviously was not something that men made up. Right? That was something that came from the priesthood, and they still carry it out like it's something. It, I mean, let me, let me explain something to you. You know, the Bible says that every, uh, the, the same, I should say, the same gospel that the Lord preaches to us today, in other words, the same things that he teaches us today about Jesus, the gospel is the good news about Christ, right, about his coming, uh, that was preached to them as well. And sometimes, you know, you can look at that and be like, oh, well, yeah, but, you know, they didn't have the book of John or they didn't have the book of Matthew, right, in the Old Testament. But, but li listen to what we're saying, right? Th th these people lived day in and day out of their lives, right, with a tabernacle, with a priesthood, with ceremony that every single ounce of it was pointing them to Jesus, right? In other words, th there is no need for any of the priests that existed under the Old Covenant and including, and and including, right, the high priest, there was no reason for them apart from the fact that they were just a shadow of Christ, right? Christ is the high priest, right? This was just a, a, an intermittent step, right, for them to be able to see a Christ that was to come, right? The law itself that was given, the Ten Commandments, that even to this year, 2023, there are still people that try to live under those Ten Commandments, right? The Lord said to the same people that try to live under them, which the majority of them are Christians, right? Uh, he told them that that was given in order to show them that they could not do it, right? In other words, the law wasn't given. God didn't say, here are my commandments. You better do them or else, right? He gave them the commandments so that they can see you can't do it, <laughs> Right? And, and even people today that talk about, oh, because no, like today, I, I understand that the, the, you know, the standard is not the same because, you know, Jesus even said, if you even look at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So it's not just not committing the act of adultery, but it's even thinking about it. Like, <laughs> the thing is, what, you think you can do that then? Like, like th there is nothing, there is nothing that Christ ever said as far as the works of men that men could actually do apart from him. In other words, the very reason why God needed to send the high priest, right, is because we needed him. In other words, a high priest is one, and I'll read this to you very quickly. 
right? The, the job of a high priest is to be, is to be able to offer sacrifices on behalf of men. In other words, to be, to be the, the mediator, if you will, between men and God, right? In other words, we, we, needed, we needed Christ to come. And, and, and the very fact that we don't really, that's not really taught much within the church, right? The, the fact that he, it's mentioned a lot that he's our high priest, but I, I can't even recall, honestly, apart from this church, I don't recall ever hearing a message and being taught, right, uh, about the priesthood, right? I think I can remember maybe one, one specific um, one specific minister that ever mentioned it in detail about the priesthood. of, But, but a lot of times when you hear the priesthood being mentioned, it's kind of like analyzing, like almost, it almost seems sort of like it's a history lesson, right, about, about the tunic and, and the custom. Listen, you, you could know, you could not know a lick of Jewish custom, right, and you could know that, that the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, was a picture or a foreshadowing, right, of Christ who was to come. In, in, in Hebrews, let me just bring you there real quick. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 1, it says that every high priest, right, and this is speaking about the Jewish priesthood or the Jewish high priest. I think you could also, in some translations, it, it may say high priest or even chief priest. Right? Or sometimes it actually says both. But it says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. So listen to this. So the actual office of the Levitical priesthood and the office of the high priest was, listen, to be able to, uh, was ordained. In order, it was ordained for the purposes of men, people, right? In things that were to God, right? In other words, it was an office given, right? In things pertaining to God. So, so everything that the, that the priesthood did were things having to do with God, right? Every, every single thing that they did. It says, and they were to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Like, so think about this. Every single time that a Jewish individual in the camp of Israel saw the priesthood, right, bringing sacrifices and offerings and saw, saw and even or, or heard of the high priest. You know, it was time for the high priest to go in. It was that one time a year when the high priest would go in to the holiest of all, right? They, they, they were being told and taught that this, was, that this was for them, that it was being done. And, and they understood that they couldn't do it. They understood like they couldn't just walk in there and, and push aside the high priest and say, I'm going to go in there, right? Because they probably feared being struck down and killed, right? So, but, so they, they knew that this that was being done was being done for them. But, but just the fact that it was sacrifices for sin, like you think that that would have been such an obvious thing to the people of Israel that knowing that there was a Messiah that was prophesied over and over and over again by Micah, by Ezekiel, by Jeremiah, by so many, right? That Christ was to come and that he would pay the ultimate price for their sin. I mean, David even prophesied even in the fashion that Christ would die, right? You think that it would have been something so obvious to them that, yeah, this is just a... Uh, uh, something that's being done in the meantime and that it really is pointing to and signifying the Christ that would come, right? And that and that, that very preaching of the gospel, right, would, would, would bring them to seek after the Lord and that when he came, 
they would recognize him. But when Jesus came, the re- he, you know, there were many reasons why Jesus was rejected by his own Jewish nation, right? Obviously, he was born a Jew, and he was rejected by his own nation, which is a crazy thing, right? Um, it, it's a crazy thing to even think, right? And we've talked about this before, um, that, the, that the majority of the people that have accepted Christ are not Jews, right? I mean, in, in, in the physical sense, right? Uh, we're, we're not Jews, right? So we actually have a Jewish Messiah, right? And, and, and the majority of the Jewish nation whose Messi- who, who he was born into actually reject his salvation, even though they were the first to actually be taught of him at length. At length they were taught of him, at length, right? But, but what happens today, a lot of what you see then is a lot of what you still see today, right? There, there is so much... You see so much uh, ceremony, right, under the Old Testament. But, but we do the same thing in the Christian church, right? We have so much ceremony that, that are, are things, you know, like you, you're doing that. Do you even know why you do that? Do you even know why you burn incense? Do you even know why you have to kneel to pray? Do you even know why you have to fold your hands? Do you even know why you shut your eyes when you pray? Do you even know why people lift up their hands in church? Do you even, or you just do it because everybody else is doing it, right? Listen, if you ask me, why did I raise my hand in church? I raised my hand, well, when I got brave enough to do it, because everybody else was raising their hand. So there we go. And then, and then you kind of get into that where you think, oh, this feels so good. right? But, but, we, but we just do things and we imitate things, not really seeing exactly. And, and listen, I'm not against any of those things. You want to raise your hand in church? Raise your hand. You want to say amen out loud? Say amen as long as you're not being disruptive to everybody else. right? But the point is, is just that it is not about ceremony right it's not about us doing something it's not about us burning incense in order to bring in the presence of god he already lives on the inside of you it's not about us doing things in order to please him right my my being a pastor today is not something that i'm doing for god right in in the sense that i'm trying to like repay him for something that he's done for me it's something it's something that i'm doing because you know what it's 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 there are offices that are set up within the church in order to do just one thing to equip everyone to do the same thing that I'm doing right now, right? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's, in other words, it's not something, that, the, the things that people do, we, we sometimes get lost in, in the ceremony and in the thing, right? That, that we have priests today and we call people priests, what's, you know, whoever, and, and we have little ways of dressing our priests. And some of them have a little white thing over here and, and some of them have, you know, long tunics and garbs. And it's like we, we, you lose things when you get into ceremony and tradition. And even, listen, even if you have people that are plain clothes, even if you have people that, that that just you know that just look regular quote unquote right but but then we lose jesus in so many other things we lose jesus in in a message of prosperity that ought to be teaching people the very thing that christ provided for us we take up all of the time just talking to people about how they can get rich and how how you know being a christian is all about prospering and then you forget the very reason why you prosper you, you think like there's some other way to teach prosperity about, apart from teaching people the gospel, right? You, you, you get, you know, you think, oh, I have a healing ministry. What, what does that even mean? 
that you have a healing ministry. There is no other ministry than to preach the gospel. There is no other. The fact that people get healed is awesome, but you don't have like a specialty. You know, we, we don't specialize in healing and specialize in this and specialize in that. Listen, if you have it within your heart and you know that, you know, that healing is a thing that God is using you for, then great. But First and foremost, you should have it in your mind that you're a minister of the gospel. You're not, you're, not the, you're not a minister of healing, right? You're a minister of the gospel. And without the gospel, there would be no healing. Without the gospel, there would be no prosperity. Without the gospel, there would be nothing. There would, be, there would have been no priesthood. You know that without the, without the true Messiah... There would have been no priesthood. There would have been no tabernacle. There would have been no temple. There would have been no reason for any of that. There would have been no reason for any of it, right? To, today, listen, today our own forgiveness, the, the most basic among basic things of Christianity, we've not understood. That's why, you know, the apostle talks about that we should be people that are cemented in the forgiveness of sins so that we can go into further understanding about Jesus and what he's provided. But, but people today, honestly, we are so stuck on forgiveness because we haven't even passed first base yet. We, we don't, we don't even, we're not even cemented on the fact that we are forgiven forever. Listen, th- there was a huge difference between the Levitical priesthood and our high priest. A couple of differences. Number one, he wasn't even of the tribe of Levi. So Moses never even spoke of a priest coming out of Levi, coming out of Judah, right? He was born out of the tribe of Judah, not out of the tribe of Levi. So, so Christ didn't even qualify to even be an earthly priest. So, so that in and of itself is just one thing pointing to the fact that he is our heavenly high priest and not a priest of this earth, right? So he's not, he's not, a, he's not a priest to carry on an office of men, right? Another thing was priests, priests were limited in their priesthood by this thing called death, right? They only lived so long and then they dropped dead, right? They didn't have to die, right? They, they, they could have, by faith in Jesus Christ and accepting eternal life, they could have lived on, right? And, but we won't even go there. But the point is, though, that they, they, they were limited by the, 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 the extent of their life, right? Jesus Christ, however, is called our eternal high priest, right? So that means that there is something, there's a difference between Jesus and the Levitical priesthood, the priesthood of the day. In other words, men that were ordained to an office, right? Because Christ is eternal and they were not, right? They didn't live forever, right? But, but, but hold on a second, though. So, but why is that important? Why is that important? Because the, the Lord said, right, God said of his son, I have made you a priest. And he said that. He said, he said, you are a priest in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of the Levites, not in the Levitical order, but you are a priest according to Melchizedek. Melchizedek was one that was said that he had no beginning and no end. So in other words, he was made a priest by God. He did not ordain himself, the Bible says, right? Christ did not ordain himself. He didn't give himself that office. He didn't say, okay, I am going to be the next high priest. Or he didn't go and have an election among men and he was voted into the priesthood, right? But instead, he, God said I, that he looked upon him and he said, this is my, be, my begotten son. In other words, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. In other words, I am the one that sent you. <laughs> right? So, but, but when you read that, right, what does that have to do with anything? The fact that Christ was, was sent by the Father. Like, why is the fact that he is a son, right? Why is the fact that he's a son 
qualify him to be a priest, right? We're going we're to look at that. Um, in, um, right where we were in chapter 5, verse number 1, we read already, it says, every high priest was taken from among men as he is ordained uh, for men, right? In other words, a priest is for us, right? For us meaning it's what he's doing, what, what a priest used to do was to benefit the people. What Christ did was for our benefit, right? Um, it says, in things to God. So it was for our benefit, but it was to him that it was being done. In other words, the, the sacrifices that the priesthood bought, the sacrifices that the high priest bought were not for Joe Schmo down the road, right? It was for God that he was offering them, right? So in other words, he wasn't offering sacrifices so that we would accept them. He was offering sacrifices for God to accept, right? So the only reason why that had any significance, the only reason why it meant anything, in other words, Jewish people today that follow certain customs that may have, uh, uh, if I don't even know if there is a priest today, maybe it's just a rabbi, I don't know, right? But whatever custom they still keep from that old covenant, the only reason why it has any significance and why it was ever put in place was because of Jesus, right? There was no other purpose for it, right? So, so it says that it was, it was for men to God, right? What Christ came and did was for us to him. We don't owe him anything because what he, was, what he gave was to the Father, right? He didn't give it to me. He gave it to him. Right? The sacrifice of his body was to God. I mean, listen, it, it, what, what he did, what Jesus did, his crime that he was accused of in, in a court of men was speaking supposedly against the Roman government was one of the charges, right? But, but today, like people speak against the government all the time. And if they go to jail, okay, but they don't get the death penalty for doing that, right? What, why was the penalty so severe in that day? It, it could have been for any reason, right? But there was, listen, the... The father would not have allowed Jesus to be just put in jail, right? It, 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 listen, it wasn't about the Trump charges, right, upon Christ were not the point of his death. The justification of his death was God the Father punishing our sin in his body, right? It wasn't about feeling bad about how they lied about him. No, no, the Lord made that occur in order and, and utilized men in order to make it happen. Jesus was not going to get off, right? He wasn't going to get off for what he was being accused for. Anything would have happened. Thing after thing would have culminated as it did in order so that they would, right, accuse him in such a way that the punishment for his crime would be death. You know why? Because we needed his death, right? I was the one that needed him to die. Because why? Because I and you and the rest of the church and the rest of the people on the earth, whether they accept it or not, right, needed that death. Because without that death, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without him dying, there is no forgiveness. We would have all today, every single one of us, be living a guilt and condemned life today. But my question to you is, why do people today, even believing in Christ, still live condemned lives, still live feeling guilty? You know why? Because you don't know what a high priest is. You don't know what he's done. You don't know what the significance of his sacrifice meant to God for you, right? In other words, if, if the one that makes up the law that calls something sin is God, right? We, we do know, right, that it's not the government 
of New York that says what sin is. It is not the president of the United States. It ain't the president of Uganda. It is not the prime minister of, of England or whatever government of men. The government of men, does not, they don't get together and they say, this is what sin is, right? So if men believe in sin, they must believe that it is God that calls sin, sin, right? So he is the only one that says this is sin. This is wrong, right? And anyone that calls anything wrong is getting it from him. If, if you're calling something wrong, you're getting it from him. Because if you're not calling it wrong, then maybe it's a law that you're quoting, right? Because a law says that you're not to be out after a certain time if there's a curfew. Okay, well, you can call that wrong, right? But, but, but the, the concept of sin comes from God, right? He is the one that said that's sin, that's wrong, that's incorrect to do, right? And if the one that says this is wrong said, I am going to send you a priest, but not just any priest, but one that will come and offer his own body as a sacrifice for sin, and that atonement for sin, in other words, that sacrifice for sin, he will represent it at my right hand forever. If the church knew that, do you think that they would ask questions like, am I forgiven of my past, my present, my future son? You don't know what you're talking about because you don't know who he is. You don't understand what he's done. You're asking, am I forgiven of what I've done today, right? Because, or, or do I have to remember every single thing? Did Jesus say that he would give you his, the sacrifice of his body if you happen to remember what you've done? What the heck does your memory have to do with the, the price that he paid on the cross? One thing has absolutely nothing to do with the other. Nothing. We tie the, 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 the remembering what we've done to 1 John 1, 9, which says that you would be cleansed of all unrighteousness if you confess that you sinned. But yes, if, if you did not feel that you were a sinner, that means that maybe you live by the law of men, but you don't live by what God says is wrong. So if you don't think that you're a sinner and you think that God is wrong when he says the way everything you do is wrong, and if we think, you know what, I don't agree with that, I think I'm a pretty good person, which most people say. <laughs> God says everything that you do is wrong apart from Jesus. Without him, you could do nothing right. Without Jesus, you have never done anything right in all of your life. But most people will say, well, I don't know. I'm not that bad compared to that mass murderer that's in jail. I'm not that bad a person compared to my brother who committed this crime and the other one. I'm not that bad com compared to my boss who cheats. I'm not that bad compared to this one who's in jail. So we compare ourselves among ourselves and we think that that is what qualifies as something being right or wrong or sin or not, right? But God, if the one that said what that defined what sin is is the one that said you know what there is nothing that you could do i am going to send my son in order to occupy an office of high priest and he would be he will become your eternal high priest and he did not he did not appoint himself i'll show you that verse right in the same chapter that we were in in chapter five it says uh verse number let's read verse number two real quick and two and three who, uh, this speaking about the, the high priest, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity, or that is weakness, right? That's not sickness, but with weakness. He says, um, and by reason uh, hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer sins. And no man takes this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God 
as was Aaron, right? So Aaron was the first high priest. He was appointed by God. God told Moses, you're going to make Aaron high priest. Aaron didn't say, I want to be high priest. Aaron didn't get voted into the priesthood. God told him, you're going to be a high priest. Why would God have said to Like, that wasn't a mistake, right? That God appointed a high priest. Why? Because God is the one that appointed Jesus to be the high priest that he is, right? The reason, the reason why Aaron was appointed and not voted or just chosen by Moses is because God is the one that says who the high priest is. Men don't say that. God says that, right? So he says in verse number five, so also Christ, he glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, thou art my son, today I have begotten you. So that, that part there, right? In other words, this is, uh, you are my son, Today I have begotten you. you. You notice that Jesus said many, many times, if you don't believe me, you don't believe the one that sent me, right? It, he, he said a couple of, couple of verses real quick. John 6.40 talks about it. John 8.18 talks about it. He, he, says, he says, I am the one that bears witness of myself, and the Father that sent me bears witness of me. In John 6.40, he says, and this is the will of him that sent me, right? So, but why did he draw so much attention to that, to the one that sent me? Because he, wasn't, he didn't come because he just made up his mind to do it. He didn't come because, because he, he, was, he was coming to occupy an office after being voted into that office by men. He was, he's saying, I was ordained by God to be here, to do this. And if you look at what he said that he came to do, he said that he came in a body in order to do the will of God, which was to die for the people, right? In other words, to be a high priest, to come and occupy an office where you would go in to the holiest of all, which is a picture of heaven. I'll show you that later again, right? But he went in through the veil, which is a picture or a symbol of his flesh. In other words, he went through his death to go into heaven for us. So his death was for us, and his entering in was to enter into the glory that he shared with the Father at one point. But also now, because we come in through that same death, in other words, we come into heavenly things, into heaven itself, right? We come into that, not because of a qualification of our own, right? But we come in through the veil. There is no man, there is no man ever, there is never a man that can come into heavenly things, right, can come into salvation except through that veil. Why do people think today that when you ask them, are you going to heaven, and normally the question is around, have you done enough good things to go into heaven? Why is that such a stupid question, right? Because you don't have no idea what the veil is. You got no clue, none. You have no idea, in other words, you have no idea what the flesh of Jesus Christ represents. That is your way into it. That is your qualification. That is your righteousness, right? That is your righteousness. That is your qualification to enter. The reason why you say silly things like, like, well, have I been good enough? Have I, you know, that's how it happens. You know, if I don't read my Bible in the morning and then, you know, things start going wrong, you know, my day goes all wrong if I don't do something. You have no idea what it means to be blessed. You have no idea why you're blessed. You have no idea that the reason why you're blessed is because his flesh was rent. In other words, it was by his death that you're blessed. You're not blessed or that blessing taken away from you has nothing to do with you nothing listen if it had to do with us we would have failed every single one of us every one of us would have been a fail not a single one of us could have succeeded you know why because there is no entrance into anything heavenly apart through that veil nothing they lived it they lived with a physical image of the thing they lived with an image of it they, men built that thing 
They built the veil, they put it up, they hung it up. They built the tent, they built the temple, they did it with their own hands. And they had, and how, you figure, how could they miss it? How do we miss it? He died already and we're still asking the same ignorant question, am I forgiven? You still feel the same silly guilt when you do something wrong, because you don't know. And, and we, we think that they're silly. We're all silly when we think just silly carnal thoughts, We're thinking like silly people who don't understand what Christ has done, right? Why is it that Christ needs to be such a central thing? Because it's not because we're trying to make him central, it's because he is. You don't make Jesus the center, he already is the center, right? We just get a clue that he is, right? Without Jesus, listen, there is no forgiveness. Without Jesus, there is no forgetting. Let's get a little further here. It says, it says in verse number five, it says, so also Christ glorified not himself to be made high priest, but he said unto him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And he said in another place, you are a priest forever. If we could hear that, if, 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 we could, if that could be taught around the world, that God said about Jesus Christ, whom we worship, right, who the church worships as, worships as Savior, he said, I'm going to make you, I'm not just going to call you Savior. I'm going to call you priest forever. Priest forever. That means the one that occupies the office between me and God has that office forever, eternally. So if I know the office that he holds and I understand why he's needful, in other words, Lord, I could not just approach you without Jesus, right? I could, not have, I could not have the relationship that I have with you without Jesus, right? I could not have the forgiveness that I have. In other words, my sin would still be very apparent in your eyes without Jesus. Now watch that a second because that's not what people believe, right? My sin would be apparent to God without Jesus, in other words, every time I did something wrong, alarm bells would be going off in heaven because he would see everything that I did wrong and I would need to be punished for my wrongdoing. In other words, things must go wrong for me because of what I've done, because it is against the law of God that I have sinned. Not the law of men. Men don't make up sin. God says what sin is. Men can make laws up to say you either break a law or not, and they just call you a prisoner or a convict. But listen, you don't go to jail and the judge says you're a sinner right? God is the one that made that up, right? You, you, you don't get, you know, when you ask somebody, why are you in jail? Because I'm a sinner. No, it's because you broke a law. Breaking a law in the eyes of men doesn't make you a sinner. Breaking the law of God makes you a sinner, right? So it, the, the God of heaven is the one that said, I, I'm going to bring a priest and put him between you and I and make him the way for you to enter into, and I'm going to make him eternal, that's why he needed to come in the order of Melchizedek and not in the order of the Levitical priesthood, right? The Levitical priesthood had a purpose of preaching the gospel and it saw its end, right? When did the Levitical priesthood see its end? When did the temple see its end, right? When did all of the, those customs having to do with meats and, and drinks and sacrifices and offerings, when did it see its end, right? When Christ came and was crucified, there went the end of the shadow, right? It's done. It was finished. It had its purpose, and it is done, and it's been completed. And Jeremiah said, he said, he said I'm, I, I, the Lord is telling me and speaking to you through me that he is going to make a brand new covenant with you. And that new covenant that he says in Jeremiah 31 is not like the old covenant that he made. He says, but in this covenant... 
God is going to be your God and you're going to be his people. And he's going to put his law in your hearts and in your minds, right? And you're going to be his. This new covenant, in other words, that he said, in order for there to be effectively a new covenant with God, right? Remember, right? This is not a covenant between two men. The covenant was with God. The first covenant was a covenant with God. The second covenant was a covenant with God, right? This covenant that he said, I'm replacing the old covenant, and I'm making a new one with you, and it's not like the old one. But this one is going to have a priest. In other words, we have a priest of our covenant, right? A cup, the agreement that we have with God, right? Imagine if the church knew this. Do you have a covenant with God? Everybody in church would say yes. Everybody would say yes. Without fail, they would say yes. Okay, so why do you have a covenant with God? Some of them maybe would have a little difficulty with that. I'll tell you, the only reason why anyone has a a, a new covenant with God was because there was enacted a new priesthood. Because there was a new priesthood, there needed to be a new covenant. If if Jesus would have been born in the Levitical priesthood, the, the old covenant could have continued, right? But he, right, was born from Judah, therefore making him, what, a new type of priest, which would bring a new type of covenant. Not like, that, not like the old covenant, but a totally new one, right? In, in, and I think it's actually right here, where he says, um, was it here? No. Well, we'll keep going anyway. So, so, so Jesus enacted, right, by his death, we entered into this new covenant. So, so, so listen to this now. So we have a new covenant with God in which there is an office called high priest, right? You can call him Jesus all you want. There's nothing wrong with calling him Jesus. There's nothing wrong with calling him Savior. But be conscious of the fact that he is a high priest, right? It's not like, like oh, when you say high priest, yeah, that's just talking about Jewish stuff. No, no, no. He is the high priest. You have one and you need one, right? He is one. That is a true office, right? A true heavenly office, and he is your high priest. So if you didn't think you had one, you do have one. So if you, it's like if you know that someone at your job gets appointed a role, right? You want to know that job description, right? Well, what, what are they going to be doing? Do I have to answer to them? Do I, if I want to take PTO, do I have to ask them now? Do I have to ask for time off? And, and, and are they my boss or are they my boss's boss, right? And you, you want to know the role that people play. Well, you got to know the role that Jesus plays within the church. He is the high priest of all of the church. Anyone who has faith in Jesus, he is the high priest. So the, the thing to try to understand is what is his job description exactly? His job description is to be the mediator of this covenant. In other words, anything having to do, listen, not not some things, not a few things, anything that has to do between you and God has to do with him. You You don't do anything with God. You don't get anything from God. You can't do anything heavenly at all. You can't talk about blessing. You can't talk about healing. You can't talk about prosperity. You can't talk about any of thing that comes from God without acknowledging that office, right? You must acknowledge that high priest because there ain't any other way to get it. So when people say silly things like, oh, because you know how it is. You know, if you give the church 1,000, God gives you 10,000, you're, you're speaking out of the ignorant abundance of your soul, Right? Because you just left out the high priest. You don't get financially blessed by God. You don't get blessings to prosper in your life without going through him. And it has nothing to do with how much money you give to the church. Nothing to do with it. 
The only reason why people, people that don't even attend this church could financially support this church, and they, they will see a difference in their lives, right? But it's not because of us, and it's not because of how much they gave or that the fact that it, it's the fact that they gave to us, right? The fact that they gave to us, and anyone that blesses us will be blessed, and everyone that curses us will be cursed, right? But that is because of him. In other words, the reason why we're blessed is because of what he's done. So if anyone does anything to me, it's as if they're doing it to him, right? It's as if they're doing it to him. So, so, so anything that you acknowledge in your life, like when you begin to look at the high priest that you have, you recognize, my gosh, every single thing that I have in my life has to go through him. I can't, I can't, you can't talk about, oh, how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. Well, hopefully you know what you're saying when you say that. Hopefully you know that when you're saying you're blessed, you're thanking God for what he's done because that is how you are blessed. Even David said, the blessedness of a man, the blessedness of a man whose sins God has forgiven. In other words, a God that does not impute sins unto you anymore, right? How blessed is that man? But you can't say that without acknowledging that, right? In other words, the elephant in the room is always Jesus. There's no such thing as, oh, well, you know, like, like you can talk about a lot of stuff. There, there's people that preach entire messages, right? And I know because I used to do it, right? You preach entire messages, and the last thing on your mind is Jesus Christ. Because you're just trying to teach all, you're trying to teach about love. You're trying to teach people about how they ought to be good and love their neighbor. You're trying to teach all of this fluff, right? But the one that you completely ignore is the high priest, right? It's an important office, right? It should be known. What, what the office that he holds should be acknowledged within the church. It really should be. In, in Hebrews chapter 9, let's go there real quick. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 6. It says, now when these things were thus ordained, it says, the priest went always into the first tabernacle accomplishing the service to God, but into the second went the high priest alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people, right? So obviously all of that, 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 that going alone and going once, the only reason why that was a thing was because that's what Jesus would do. He would come and he would offer his body once. The reason why you read in the Bible about the fact that, that they, would, they would recollect their sin, in other words, that sin was a, a constant recollection year after year, was because they were not eternal high priests. They needed to do that every year. But the fact that we know that Jesus came once and has never done it again ought to be the screaming doctrine about the fact that we are forgiven once for all time. Why? Because he never did it again. Never. In other words, it must have been enough. The sacrifice of Jesus must have been enough, right? And he still holds the same place, right? The same priesthood he holds. It says the Holy Ghost, you know, while this was going on every year, the Spirit of God was signifying that in verse number 8, that the way into the holiest, which I'll show you a little bit later, we'll, we'll talk about it briefly, but it, that means the way into heaven, Right, the, the way into the holiest is the way into heaven. The, the Holy Ghost is signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. In other words, it was not seen. The way into, into heaven was not yet made manifest. That's a fancy way of saying Jesus had not come and died yet. That's all that that's saying, right? While the first tabernacle was yet standing, right? Which was a figure, verse 9, for the time then present in which 
uh, were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to conscience, right? In other words, those, those, were, that were, those were animals that were being killed, right? That was the blood of animals. It was not the blood of our high priest. So that blood could never make anyone righteous. That blood could never really uh, have someone, give someone the ability to be able to receive forgiveness of their sins once for all time. It could never do that. So it was just an intermediary step until Christ would come, which it calls the time of reformation here. Verse number 10 says, which stood only in meats and in drinks and in divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them, imposed upon the Jewish people, right, uh, until the time of reformation, until the time that Christ would come. Look at verse number 11. But Christ being come as a high priest of the good things to come. In other words, in, in, in Jesus enacted and brought in the good things that were to come. In, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, which we'll read in a second, but it says, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come, right? In other words, the law was only a shadow. It could not bring in, it, it couldn't usher in the good things. In other words, the, 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 that, that priesthood or that figure could never usher in the covenant that we have with God today. It couldn't usher in where, the, what we have and what we possess today. So, so it was only for a time, right? And it said, but Christ being come as a high priest. In other words, it gives him the office. And then it says it is by him that the good things would come, right? A high priest of the good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building, not of this creation. In other words, it's talking about heaven. Christ would come as a high priest, but he, wouldn't, he didn't come to enter in through a veil made of animal skins or something, or a veil made of any sort of material, and then enter in physically into this, this holiest of all, which was just a figure of heaven itself. But he went into heaven itself, right? And the veil was his flesh, and that's how he went in. So he, he did what he did so that he would say, basically, look at what I'm doing, look at what I did, I should say, and look at where I ended up, right? At the right hand of the Father, in, 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 immersed in all that is heavenly, I ended in glory, right? In other words, what he said is, I went in through my body, which is my flesh, my death, and look at where I ended up in glory. And you know what he says today? Come follow me. You know what people think that means? Go preach in China. That doesn't mean go preach in China. That means come follow me. In other words, enter in through the same door. Enter in through the same way. Come in through my death, and you will come into my glory, right? When we behold the glory of the Lord as in a mirror, we're beholding the glory that he possesses through the death, right, that he suffered so that we could come in through that same death, right? So, so, so it says, uh, but Christ being come a high priest of the good things to come, not by a, uh, come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. 12 says, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, right? Once into the holy place. So, so you know, right, it says holy place. That's the same wording as the holiest it's the same wording as the place where the high priest went, but we know that that's not where he went, right? Jesus Christ did not get off the cross and then go into that tent, into the tabernacle, or go into the temple, and then walk into the holiest of all, right? That's not what happened, right? That's not what he did. But the way that he made, in other words, the Holy, the Holy Ghost was signifying that while all of that structure and all that ceremony and all of that was still standing, right? 
the Holy Ghost was signifying the time of Christ. In other words, while God was still saying, yeah, keep doing that, that meant Christ had not come. The reason why it's not done anymore is because God said now that's unnecessary, right? Men have a hundred reasons why they don't do it today, but it's because God said no more. That's it. That's not needed anymore. It's been replaced. Why? Because the reason for it, right, has been fulfilled. Christ came and did what he was supposed to do. He is now the high priest. So therefore, you don't need priests, right? Therefore, you don't need high or low priests. You don't need any priests. There is one priest. That's what we need, one priest. We don't need men calling themselves priests. We don't need men calling themselves reverend. We have one high priest. That's it. And we have been enacted as a church and as a government within that church to tell people what he's done. That's it. To be a shepherd, which is to communicate the truth about what Jesus Christ had done. It doesn't give me any pleasure that the state of New York put an REV in front of my name. I could give two hoots about the REV. Nothing. It means absolutely nothing, and it does nothing. It does nothing. It does nothing. Absolutely nothing. It says he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained, listen, eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. That means that what he did is forever. What he did is once and forever. Never to have to be repeated again. Never for anyone to have to ask the question. In other words, the answer to the question, am I forgiven of my past, my present, and my future sins? Well, number one is, how often did Jesus have to die? Once. Okay. And, and he is today an eternal high priest. Yes. So are you forgiven? Well, answer your own question. Of course you are, right? Because if you weren't, he would have to die time after time after time. If it were based on your ability to remember, to confess your sin, he wouldn't have had to come. The people with a good memory would have been righteous, and the people with bad memories would have been unrighteous. That's it. It would have been very simple. The fact that he had to come, is it means to us, you know what? I need him. I needed you, Jesus, to come. Because without you, I would not be righteous. Without you, there would be no forgiveness of sins, right? Without you, I would still be guilty. So when God looks at you today, and he says... You are blameless and holy in my sight without a single fault. You know exactly why he could say that, right? Because there is a high priest that stands for your blamelessness, that stands for your forgiveness, right? He actually, he's actually sitting, right? But he stands, in other words, he, he, is, he is the reason for your forgiveness. He is the reason for your no condemnation. He is the reason for your blessedness. He is the reason for your healing. Or did, did healing die with the apostles? You don't even know what you're saying. What are you talking about? The healing that the apostles enacted or used was because of who? Because their name was John, Matthew, Luke, or was it because of Jesus, right? There's no, there's, Jesus didn't start something and said, you know, I'm just going to start a little spark here and I'm going to give you guys the powers to heal people and then I'm going to stop it after you're gone, right? Everything that they did was because of that priesthood. The reason why they could say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk is not because of anything apart from the death of Christ. He is the high priest. Therefore, he has an office that enables and qualifies them to be able to have what they have in them. So they say, such as I have, I give unto you. What you have, where did you get it? <laughs> right? What the apostles have, where did they get it? They got it from the same place that you got what you have. Right? Because they didn't have anything different than what you have because there is only one death, right? I think Pastor Mike has said it before. You can't come in through the same door and end up in two different places, right? If we all came in through the same door, we're all qualified the same way and have the same stuff. 
People all confused. Well, I don't know. We all have the same stuff because doesn't the Bible say that some speak in tongues and some don't? People, people demonstrate and manifest different facets, right, of the same spirit in them. But it's not like they got the spirit of tongues and the other one has the spirit of the spirit of prophecy and then the other one doesn't. It's a spirit. It's not. It's it's it's, it's the spirit of God on the inside of you, right? The spirit of God. The, 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 the office of the priesthood should be acknowledged by the church. He is the high priest, right? He is the high priest. In, in verse number 13, it says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, in other words, just an earthly, uh, an earthly um symbolic cleansing right how much more verse 14 how much more shall the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit he offered himself without spot to god like the very thing that they did they would look for a spotless lamb where did they get that from and why was it important it had no significance at all spotless lamb apart from the fact that it that it was pointing to jesus christ who would die on a cross without ever having even committed a sin in other words god condemned sin in the flesh of jesus without him ever doing anything wrong in other words without him ever sinning he was condemned by god for sin he was justly judged by the father for sin yet he never sinned so the question is well how is that fair how could you judge someone for sin that doesn't have sin because that was our sin that he was carrying right isaiah was telling them that from the top of his lungs right it was, it, was, it was for our grief, it was for our sins that he was crucified, right? Or that he would be crucified, Isaiah would say. He said, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works, it says, to serve the living God. He says, and for this cause, in other words, for his death, right? Stay with me while we wrap up here, right? For his, because of his death, he is the mediator of this New Testament. By me, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Right. So that that's that all of that is saying that that the one that stands between you and God, that represents all of that. Right. Your righteousness, your forgiveness, everything that you have. The reason why you can be sure and say, "I have this." Right. The power to wealth is on the inside of me. The power to health is on the inside of me right the blessedness of god is on the inside of me i have been perfected how can you be sure of any of this how can you be so bold because we're going to end there right right in i want to talk to you about two verses about boldness right why why does the bible say to enter into the throne of grace boldly enter in right Let, 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 let me show you that before we run out of time um in in verse number we were in verse number 15 i was reading to you uh look at verse number 16 for where a testament is there must also of necessity be the death of the testator right the one that enacts a testament right is that's not in force until he's dead right for verse 17 says for a testament is in force after death is the right way to read that right for a testament is in force after death otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator lives right in other words the the covenant that we have between us and god has no strength or power at all if not for his death and hold on because that's not as simple as you think right the covenant i'll say it again right the covenant that i have with god 
has no power. In other words, God is under no obligation to bless me, to heal me, to prosper me, to, to do anything for me at all, to give me eternal life. He is under no obligation, if not for the death of the one that enacted that testament, right? In other words, that is the reason for this covenant. He is, his death. So God is under no obligation, but now he is completely obliged and obligated by his own word and his own actions to bless me, to make me perfect, right? Everything because of that death. Now, if you see that high priest and now you see the, the, the leverage in this covenant is the death of Jesus Christ, right? Anything that we say, anything that the church talks about or boasts about at all must be because of him. So, so meaning again, that there is nothing that the church receives, nothing that any individual ever has ever received from God that comes apart from him. Nothing. Anything that, the, the least that people could get is receive something from a symbol of him. I mean, that's what he was saying before. If people receive from a symbol of Jesus, how much more do you receive now when you have the symbol himself? You have him. You have the high priest, right? You, his death has occurred, right? So, so if this testament, this covenant that we have, if the church understands that the covenant that we have, this agreement between us and God was, was effectuated because of him, what else can be central to that covenant? What, what could I have or be taken from me that would have anything to do with me and not everything to do with him? Nothing, right? Your actions have nothing to do with him. What you do today or what you do tomorrow has absolutely nothing to do with him. If your faith remains in Jesus, your actions mean squat to God. Nothing. It means nothing. Well, how could you say that? Because I know him. I know my high priest and I know his death on the cross. That's how I'm bold enough to say that. It has nothing to do with you. Because people say, well, what are you saying? You're saying that people can just do whatever they want? No, you say that people can do whatever they want and that you're giving people a license to sin because you don't know that he died for your sin. The one that, how can you give people a license to sin when God has just forgiven you of sin? Well, or you're giving people a license to just do wrong things, right? But, but how could we, that are getting a clue of what Christ has done, that he has freed you from sin, how could we say in the same breath that we want to live in sin? Right? That's what Paul said, right? He said, how could they who have been freed from sin live any longer in it? In other words, Jesus didn't just give you forgiveness. He gave you freedom from sin and death. He didn't just give you freedom from death. He gave you freedom from sin. Right? So if you know what he did, how are you saying that those same people who know that Christ has given them freedom from sin and death actually want to live in bondage to sin again, right? That, that's an ignorant thing to say. Ignorant of what? Ignorant of him. Listen, the stupidity that's taught and the ignorance that's taught is ignorance and stupidity of what he has done. That he is the missing thing, right? He, he, he's the one that we're missing. He's the one that we're missing. In, in, um, <laughs> In, in 1 John chapter 2, right, I, I, I am going to wrap up here, but just stay with me for a little bit. I think this is worth it, okay? 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 1, he says, My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Right? No, notice that you are not your own advocate, right? Like actually you needed an advocate, you needed an advocate. Why? Because he says, I write these things to you and I tell you everything that you have so that you don't sin, so you understand that you are free, so you understand the liberty that you have, right? 
But, but he says, but if you do, don't forget his office. <laughs> don't forget that he's called Savior. He's called the high priest, and he's also called your advocate, right? That before the Father, you are still blameless, right? You are still without fault, right? He is your advocate, right? He is your advocate. In, in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 7, let's go there real quick. Look at, in, in Hebrews 7, maybe let's just jump down. Uh, look at verse number 22. It says, by so much Jesus was made the surety, right? That's what gives you the boldness. That's what, that's what makes you know and speak, right? That may look bold or, or just come across maybe wrong sometimes to people, like you're, you're, you're puffing out your chest, right? But what is it that gives a person that surety that they can say, I'm righteous despite me? Right? Despite anything that I would do, I am righteous. Despite anything that I do, I'm blameless, I'm holy. He says, by so much, Jesus was made the surety of that better testament. In other words, Jesus is the surety. Your works are not, he is. He is the surety. That's how you can be sure. He's called the surety. He's the high priest. He's the savior, the high priest, the advocate, and he is the surety, right? In verse 23, says, and they truly were, were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continues forever, he has an unchangeable priesthood. In other words, his office never changes, right? You're forgiven today because of him. You're forgiven tomorrow because of him, right? Um, wherefore, verse 25, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, right? You don't come to God through any other place than through that veil, right? Nobody comes to God except by him, seeing that he, lives, that he lives to make intercession for them, right? He is forever our intercessor, right? That's another word for him. Advocate and intercessor, I think, is actually the same word, but he is also, right, our intercessor. For, verse 26, for such a high priest is, it said, became us. In other words, that's what we needed. That's what we needed. Someone that would die for my sins and have an endless life. Because if you could bring a sacrifice that would be so powerful to be once forever, and if your life never ended, that's what I needed. So it doesn't say that the Levitical priesthood was the priesthood that became us, in other words, that we needed. It says that for such a high priest, that's who we needed, Jesus, right, who was holy, right, he was spotless, right, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those as those, as those high priests to offer up sacrifice for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. For this he did once when he offered up himself. Right? Let, let, let's end these two verses, I promise you. Right? It's 1157. We're going to end here. I'm going to read Hebrews 4.14 and then Hebrews 10 to you. Hebrews 4.14, listen to what it says. It says, seeing then that we have. In other words, it's a great way to end this because if you think, okay, Pastor Jose, so you've been talking about all this thing about the high priest. So listen to what he says now. So then seeing then, right, this is true, a fact. Seeing then that we have a high priest that is passed into the heavens, right? Before it was called passed into or went through the veil into the holiest of all, right? But that's not what he did. We have a high priest that passed into the heavens. That's where he went, right? So he says, seeing that we have a high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, right? Uh, let us hold fast our profession, right? Let us hold fast to the confession that we have of who he is, right? It says, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Therefore, listen to this. This is so good. 
Therefore, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, right? The, the, the throne, and, and I know that we know this, right? If you say, oh, where is the throne of God? Everybody will say, oh, it's in heaven. But watch this, though. It is a biblical thing. It says in, 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 in Matthew 5.34, I'll read it to you real quick. It says, but I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, right? Heaven is God's throne. So this is telling you, listen, and, you, and I'm going to prove to you beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is not talking about tomorrow when Jesus comes back. This is talking to you about today, right? You know why? Because today, if I ask any of you, does anyone in here have needs? Everybody, right, should say, yep, I need something from God, right? I need what he's done, right? People would have to admit that. He said, let us therefore come boldly unto what? The throne of grace. So that the throne of grace, right, is is you know that it's talking about heavenly things, right? Because it, the throne of God is in heaven. But where the grace of God is, is with us, right? Paul said, Paul said that he, he, he worked more abundantly than them all, but not him, but the grace of God that was with him, working with him, right? So the grace of God, in other words, that, that is that which is unworked for and unmerited. That's, what, that's talking about what God has given through Jesus. What he's given is what you possess, that's the same thing that the apostle said, such as I have, I give unto you. It was the grace of God abounding in him that was working towards him. So it's saying, go, you be bold to come unto the place where the grace of God is seated. In other words, the throne of God is in heaven, but heaven is on the inside of you, right? Because guess who it is that's seated in you? There's two unique individuals seated on the inside of you that Miss Lindsay was praying that the son and the father would come to make their home in you, right? By what? By their spirit, right? It's not that they pulled up two chairs and just moved into each one of us, right? It's that they came and gave us their spirit, right? They share the same spirit, and that is the spirit that we have, which is called the spirit of God, the church calls it, right? Because it's in the Bible, the spirit of God. So it says, come boldly into, unto the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, what does that qualify for, like a time of need? Anything that you could ever need in all of your life. In all of your life, anything you need, the Bible says, come boldly. He says, seeing, but don't think that it's, oh, that boldly thing, that sounds a little arrogant. No, no, no. You, you, you think it's arrogant because you forgot what he just said. Seeing that you have a high priest, Jesus is the one that said, you're coming in through me, you have permission and access and qualification to receive what you've been given. In other words, that's why I gave it to you. That's why you have access to it, right? That's why I gave it to you. That's why you have access to it. The same way in Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, and I won't, if on your own time, I would encourage you, read, read the entire chapter 10. It, I mean, I would tell you, read the whole book of Hebrews, but anyway, Chapter 10, and look at verse number 19, says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, right? So before he said boldness to enter into, right, the things of heaven, here he says to the throne of grace, right, which is heaven, heavenly things. Here he calls it the holiest, the same way that the priesthood, the same name that they used to call it, entering in through the veil into the holiest. Here he said, brethren, in other words, those that are now after the death of Christ, that have become sons of the same God, brethren, right, brothers of, the, of one father, right? He said, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by what? By the blood of Jesus, by the death of him, by the death of my priest, right? In other words, I have, I can be bold 
to walk in the things of heaven. I can, I can walk in the forgiveness of heaven. I can walk in the, in the prosperity of heaven. I can, the will of God can be done in my life, and I can be bold to walk in that way. Why? Because I have the blood of Jesus Christ, right? The blood of Jesus by a new, verse 20 says, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for you and me through the veil that is to say his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, right, and full assurance of faith, and it goes on from there, right? What an awesome way to just just to end this and say, you know what, Lord? I I stand today in your grace. I stand today in everything that you gave me through your son. How could I ever doubt that I have 24-7 access into everything that you've given me when what you gave me I did not merit, but I received freely through what you did? And it's not like you did it once a long time ago and now people have forgotten and it has no power, but you stand in an office that is forever eternal. Even in the new world to come, when this one is burnt up, he still holds the same office, high priest, forever, high priest forever, as having no beginning and no end, right? So so you, you see that he says that you can come boldly and find grace Right? Find mercy and grace to help in time of need. When you have a need in your life, and it does not matter what it is, when you have a need in your life, why is it that we cower and we pray like we're people that have no right and no access, like you have to grovel and beg Almighty God to please, if you have enough time in your day, can you please do something for me? Instead of accepting something that is already done, and boldly praying like you have every right and access to receive it now because of what he's done. We act like fools that don't understand what we have and fools because we have not seen yet what has already been freely given to you. He says, come to the throne of grace. It's seated. The grace of God is in you. You have every, every right through the blood of Jesus Christ to take full access of it. But what we do is in our minds, we limit ourselves with false humility, right? We grovel unto God like we got to convince him to please do something for us, right? Like he hasn't already done everything, right? We pray like, like we actually have to get him, like you have to butter him up. Like you have to tell him how omnipotent, omnipotent he is, how powerful God is, how much we love you. Lift up the name of Jesus and the power of God will begin to work, right? You forgot what he did. You're trying to get him to do something like you got to rally him up like a cheerleader to get God to wake up from his slumber because he must be like Zeus who sleeps, right? You got to wake him up. And if you can wake him up, then finally he'll come and a miracle will happen because the church prayed and we called upon those of the prayer chain to start praying and knock down the windows of heaven and knock on the doors of heaven and the gates will, and the gates will be open and you'll receive your miracle, right? It may sound cute, but it's a big fat lie, Right? There, there, there are no blockers between you and heaven anymore, right? There are no doors that have to be opened. There are no windows that are shut that have to be opened. And sure as heck, your tithe ain't going to open no windows of heaven to bless you because the one that represents that sacrifice has already come and has already died, right? You don't need your money. Can you imagine that we could buy our blessing? I can just give money and I can buy the blessing of God. Makes Jesus Christ useless, doesn't it, right? But if you give him his place, you can see, wow, why I have everything that I have is because of what you've done. Thank you, Jesus. 
We hope you enjoyed this message from Reformed Church. If you have, please share this with someone else and help us get this unpopular message to the world. If you'd like to support Reformed Church, you can do so at reforminus.com slash give. Also on our website, you can take advantage of our free messages, articles, and even full discipleship courses. Start reforming your mind now at reforminus.com.